mean, you've been putting in work for so long. Putting in a lot of work. What is going on, guys? Welcome to episode 28 of Putting in Work. I'm John O'Peck, and thank you for listening. Thank you for leaving reviews. You can do that over in iTunes. Thank you for tweeting at me. Thank you for letting me know that you are listening, enjoying the show. It's always great to hear from my audience. On this week's show, we've got Tim Biggs. He's the Fairfax tech editor. He works mostly with Sydney Morning Herald and The Age in Melbourne. Uh, For people internationally, these are two of the biggest daily metropolitan newspapers in Australia. So that in itself is quite interesting. He writes about video games for, I guess, traditional media, both print and online which is something that not a lot of people can say these days. Just even making a living from writing about games is rare, but doing it for a mainstream newspaper is is even more uh, unique, I think. So a lot of interesting stuff to come out of of this chat today. Also didn't realize that Tim had started his uh, writing career doing some freelancing for IGN and all the while studying philosophy and a lot of interesting university courses that kind of informed a different approach to game writing. Uh, So yeah, so yeah, I'm sure you'll enjoy hearing what Tim has to say about those different elements of games and of the media uh, and how he's doing what he can to kind of advocate for the games industry as something that deserves to be alongside the arts and the movies and film reviews that appear in the news. So here's Tim Biggs. Enjoy the show. Tim, tell me how you got into... Uh, tech journalism and I guess video game journalism uh, yeah there definitely uh, doesn't seem to be to be a lot of us do you want the long version of the story <laughs> yeah give me the long version we got we got a while <laughs> okay uh, well basically I mean out of high school I, I wasn't really interested in doing anything apart from uh, writing or uh, reading philosophy or uh, playing video games and out of those three I really only thought there was a career in writing, so I wanted to go and study journalism at RMIT. But my uh, my high school grades were abysmal, so that didn't happen. <laughs> they have to be like crazy high to get into RMIT as well, don't they? At the time, it was like a ninety eight minimum. On ninety eight was clearly in, I think, uh, and then you had to get like a forty something in English. So yeah, which is uh, ridiculous. We were out in the country, and the school I went to had basically no elective options and I just got like a I just you know it was obviously my fault I just didn't you know I didn't (laughs) study so I I got accepted actually um a bit more down your way in uh in Geelong in Deakin doing PR and so I took a year off and I worked at a country newspaper and then I moved down to Geelong and I did PR which I wasn't really that interested in but I got to do some intern work at uh the Geelong Addy which is fine and, uh, you know, I also picked up a lot of electives in uh, literature and philosophy and sort of, you know, realized that maybe there is a bit more to my potential career options than just straight journalism. Like there is actually room for people to sort of analyze, you know, text and stuff like that. So after a year at Geelong, I reapplied to RMIT. And obviously once you're like a year out, they don't care what you did at high school. So uh, I got in there quite easily, and so I had my formal uh, journalism training at RMIT. Uh, and at the same time, I, I kept going with the um, you know modern philosophy stuff and and literature, and sort of I, I started trying to think of ways that I could integrate talking and writing about video games because it was still something I was very much interested in. I started hassling the editors at IGN, 
Uh, and then by the time I graduated, I decided I was going to do a master's degree. Uh, and at about the same time, uh, I started freelancing for IGN. And also I got a job at The Age working nights, um, just doing very sort of laborious editing and, um, you know, headlines and just sort of very low level production stuff that sort of, it was good for me because I'm very sort of particular and I hate seeing typos or things that aren't sort of in line. So it was perfect, you know. And was that for the print version or just online or what no so they were they were launching a a new ipad app which was like sort of revolutionary at the time they were like wow you know we're gonna have this ipad app and so they weren't set up for it at all so they had like all the stories got filed for print and then we basically came in at night and unpicked them all because they weren't filed to like a central cms we had to unpick them from the print proofs and then set them back up to go into this ipad app so uh, that's a job, obviously, that doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so I was doing that at nights. I was um, going to school, doing my master's degree. My thesis was in the place of video games in postmodern social theory. Mm-hmm. And I was freelancing for IGN. I moved up to Sydney at, at one point. I kept working for Fairfax, but I really wanted to try to break into the video game media space. Got a lot of freelancing work, but there just wasn't a whole lot of openings for, especially full-time in any of the sort of Australian-based uh, games media. You know, I considered sure. whether I should just pick up and move to San Francisco, but I just sort of, you know, I'd know whether that would have turned out well, but I'm kind of glad I, I didn't pull the trigger <laughs> on that. And eventually I just got offered a full-time job at Fairfax uh, on the tech team. So I kind of had to decide... You know, I can I can go full time in this in the mainstream sort of sector doing production, but like tech focused and then not freelance for anyone. Or I can quit Fairfax and and try to make a living uh, freelancing. And I opted for Fairfax. And I I guess over the course of a few years, I went from the tech producer to just one half of the tech team where I was basically doing a bit of everything. And now I'm the entire tech team. And over the course of the few years that I've been doing it, I've just sort of pushed and pushed and pushed video game coverage in there because we weren't really doing any of it. Hmm. So now we're doing, um, you know, fairly regular video game coverage. I've got uh, print video game reviews going in once a week uh, and digital coverage as well. But most of my job is very much to do with consumer technology. It's just that my personal passion still happens to very much be video games. And so I've sort of, you know, kept that as, as part of the role. Okay. So when you say tech, is it like iPhones and NBN and that kind of coverage or what what does that encompass? Yeah, so originally they sort of had it very spread out. So there was like, there was a brand called Digital Life that was all Mm -hmm. consumer technology and, you know, social media and stuff. And then they had technology, which was very sort of, you know, PCs and security and IT and stuff like that. But over the course of the years, there's sort of been fewer and fewer... Uh, bodies at Fairfax to sort of do all this work and so we've sort of had to refine it down to you know what exactly does the audience want and let's do fewer stories but you know the stories that people really want to read so nowadays I'm doing a bit of you know that sort of stuff iPhones and and Android phones laptops video games but then also you know viral stuff and social media web culture and the only time sort of 
IT and security creeps in is when there's a strong sort of consumer angle. If there's a, you know, a big malware going around, we'll do a story on that. But mostly sure. it's very consumer technology. Okay. Now, you kind of casually mentioned that you did some freelancing for IGN and got these jobs at the age and, you know, internships and all that kind of thing. That's mm-hmm. not an easy thing. So tell me exactly how you managed to, to score those those gigs because that must have been pretty huge for you, I imagine, as a student yeah, well, especially. I, I kind of I kind of condensed like 12 years yeah. into, <laughs> into 30 seconds. So, yeah. Uh, so basically what happened was um, IGN AU ages ago when I first started reading them were having... Uh, they had like open submissions for you to write stories and send them in, I guess, because they were looking for freelancers at the time. And so I wrote a story. Um, I can't really remember what it, was, what it was about. It would have been, you know, I would have thought it was the most clever thing in the world at the time, <laughs> but they, they didn't agree. Obviously um, Cam uh, emailed me back and said that he personally liked it very much, but you know, the entire team voted and, uh, you know, the stories that got through, mine weren't among them. So, and he gave me some advice on sort of how to, how to get better. And I took that to heart. He said to, to practice, you know, writing every day. And so I started uh, a blog, which doesn't exist anymore, sadly. Uh, uh, it was called Weekly Rift. I, I can't remember why I chose that name, but so I was just publishing stuff all the time. And it was very sort of uh, philosophical bent sort of ludology stuff or like really deep dives into what I thought of, of certain games designs and stuff like that. Okay. And when I ended up getting back to cam while I was at school uh, and I said, Hey, you know, I took your advice and here's a year's worth of work and I'm at school doing, I'm about to start a master's and here's what it's about. And I think my research could really inform some interesting opinion articles and he said, yeah, that sounds great. Um, you know, send me something when you've written it and we'll talk about, you know, publishing it. Uh, and I did and they did. And so um, that's how it started. And then from then I just pitched them stories every time they came to us. It really helped that I was um, researching at the time because any time something came up and I thought I probably can't fit that into my thesis, but I'll look at that on the side for, you know, an IGN article. Mm. Okay. Uh, and I pitched it to them, and so that's how that worked. And was that getting published on IGN.com, or was it just the Australian version? No, it was it was global because the yeah. uh, it's it's kind of confusing how it works because IGN Australia is a satellite office of IGN.com. Mm-hmm. So in a lot of cases, um, with sort of IGN Japan and I think Italy and stuff like that, they they're very separate. But right. I guess because Australia is a is the same language, it works pretty much like UK, where they just they're in the same pools for reviews and stuff, and they curate their own homepage, I think. But all the yeah. content is shared across. Yeah. Okay. So what was that like? For finally getting that thing that you'd been kind of aiming for, I guess. And you probably grew up with IGN. Like it must have been a pretty big thing to see your name on that website. For sure. Well, uh, <clears throat> actually, yeah. So when. When I first sort of left home, my goal was to work for IGN full time. And so that's why I had that goal in the future of moving to San Francisco, because I kind of knew that there wasn't many jobs going in IGN Australia. So the first step, obviously, was to get published there. And that's why I reached out to Cam in the first place. But uh, yeah, a few years later, when I first got 
published, I mean, I was ecstatic. And you go, I don't really visit the IGN homepage anymore because I just get it by RSS feed, but I used to be yeah. on it all the time. And so the first time I went there, my story was um, was right at the top. Someone had made a banner out of um, Paper Mario characters and sort of arranged them in some sort of form that was explaining whatever point I was trying to make. I actually can't remember what the first You don't remember what the article was? <laughs> no, I can't. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so they had arranged these Paper Mario characters and they had a headline that they'd written and I was just like, this is completely insane. Like everyone who's going to this website is going to see this banner and, and click on it and read my story. And uh, I went to the comments and they were horrendous and I didn't even care. It was just, <laughs> you know, it was so much fun. And at the time they had... um the IGN blogs as well. So I started one of those so I could link my profile through and like comment with everyone and sort mm. of, I don't even know. I know that usually people don't go in and like defend their work, but I just sort of wanted to, you know, see what people had to say and, and sort of, you know, rebuke them. And yeah, it was great. And, and that lasted for a couple of years. I got something published every couple of months and it was, yeah, really fun. Was that something that was that helped you get more work, or do you think that a place like Fairfax doesn't really look at IGN? Yeah, so I think there was of all the people I talked to, there was one person at Fairfax who knew what IGN was, right? Uh, and the rest of the time, it was kind of just like, uh, "Are you allowed to be writing for them? Like, aren't they owned by like News Limited or something?" I'd have to say, <laughs> "No, they're not owned by News Limited." Like, you know, and I also, I'm a freelancer here and there, it's sort of, you know, so yeah. no one, no one really cared. Uh, sure. It sort of, it got to the point when I was actually writing stuff for Fairfax, though, that I could say, you know, every now and then when there was a story of mainstream significance about video games, I could say, look, this is what I do. This is a story I should write. And they sort of would say, okay, but yeah, yeah. in terms of them acknowledging uh, IGN, I, that wasn't really something that they did. And I mean, mm. the, the audience are supremely different. You know, I can write yeah. something for IGN that was, you know, a, a very philosophical breakdown of the Ouya. And, you know, none of those things apply at Fairfax. You know, I wouldn't have ever written anything about the Ouya for Fairfax or the philosophy of, you know, game design. So two very different worlds. Yeah. So what do you see the mainstream media's role in the video game industry because obviously you've gone from writing very nuanced and deep stuff for IGN and whatever other freelance you did and with weekly rift but coming across to you know a mainstream newspaper one of the biggest newspapers in the country it's obviously a different audience like you said like gamers specifically aren't going to Fairfax and the Age and Sydney Morning Herald to get their gaming news so tell me about how you view that yeah, well, I mean, that's that's the core problem, right? It's that uh, people who are really into gaming aren't coming to us and people who are coming to us aren't necessarily into gaming at all. Uh, for a long time, I just kept the two worlds very, very separate and I didn't do anything gaming-related at Fairfax, mostly because I found it very frustrating to try to explain to people why I thought certain stories were interesting. Uh, but... You know, over time, I sort of worked with them. You know, they're they're not doing it. They're not sort of, you know, crapping on my hobby. They're just trying to make sure that the stories that go up on Fairfax are of interest at Fairfax. So mm. it took a long time. But uh, I sort of see the role as 
me having specialist knowledge, uh, translating that to people who are interested but don't necessarily have that specialist knowledge. Sure. So it's really a case of, you know, here's a video game that I'm playing. What about this video game is of interest or what? how can I explain this video game in a way that people might see it and say, oh, you know, that's not something I ever would have been interested in, but, you know, I'm going to read that because it, it sounds intriguing. Mm. And the thing about video games and the mainstream media is I don't think they really need to be in the technology section per se. They are at Fairfax, and I think that's largely because I'm the technology editor, but they could be in entertainment, right? Or they could be in arts. Mm. They're not really a technological product. They're... Uh, an entertainment product. Yeah. So most of the time I approach it like that. The weekly video game reviews that I write right now go in the Green Guide in uh, Melbourne, which is a entertainment lift out. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't run in print in Sydney, I don't think. But online, they just go in the text section. And so I have a very sort of... Um, a very sort of literary approach to that. A very I want to match sort of what Fairfax does for music and movies, because they're very respected for that. And I don't see any reason why it wouldn't be the same for video games. So I really try to take that approach with the game reviews. And with the other coverage, it's very much about what does a mainstream audience think about this? Um, Because you know the majority of Australians are playing video games, so they they have an opinion. It's just not necessarily the same that you'd find at Enthusiast Press. Yeah, that's really interesting, because, I mean, some people might look at it and say video games in the newspaper you're wasting your time or, you know, it's not the audience or whatever, but you're kind of coming at it in a way that's foreseeing that the older we get, the more video games become ubiquitous with culture and society, I guess. So you're trying to find that balance of how it affects people or how it might interest them. And that means that you have to pick specific stories and you have to maybe over-explain things like what does Twitch mean and what's VR and who are rooster teeth and these things that, you know, I guess the video game industry can just talk about without having to explain to their audience. So is that kind of a challenge you see of making it relevant to people? Yeah, so with like a general news story, often I'll write something and uh, my editor will read it and you'll say, hey, can we get some figures in here um, just about, like, how much the video game industry made last year? And I'll say, okay, like, I didn't consider that to be a salient fact, but from his point of view, he wants to make sure that someone who sees it and says, oh, eSports, is that a big deal? (laughs) They go into it and they see something that makes sense to them right up top. You know, this is how much money. And then they go, oh, all right, I am interested. Hmm. I'll read the rest of the article. So from my point of view... I might not think, you know, we really need to justify esports like that. But to a general audience, it's some, it's something that might keep them from dismissing it out of hand. Sure. And so um, with review stuff, it's not as necessary because I think even for an older audience, like in the paper this week, it's going to be um, a review of Tacoma. I don't think there's any reason why anyone of any age couldn't pick up Tacoma and play it, you know, unless they really didn't want to. Uh, I think it's pretty easy to explain. But if it's a business article or a news article, there's definitely a need. You know, take a step back and say, well, not everyone's going to understand what that company is Mm. or what that genre is or that people do something like this. Um, I think I wrote a story once about... People were concerned that people were using PlayStation Chat for nefarious purposes. And they wanted an explainer about how video games interact with the internet. 
And like, that's just such a broad concept yeah. that I was like, what? Uh, but for some people, it's, it's, uh, it's interesting, you know, that, oh, so you, you're on the PlayStation and you interact with other people, you know? So yeah, sometimes it is a case of just taking a step back and saying, okay, here's a spot that people might want to know about. They might not know about it. Uh, I can explain it to them. This is, might be hard to answer with, uh, I guess, newspapers in, in general becoming more streamlined and having less resources. But do you see video games and the industry becoming more uh, a factor in journalism, like pr- traditional journalism, because of the, the things that you've talked about? And, you know, the rise of VR and streaming and all these and e- esports and, I guess, the legitimacy of it as a industry and as an art form? It's tough to say because, I mean, the the mainstream media industry is changing so much uh, at the same time as, you know, those sort of video games is continuing to impact everyone. But I think things like VR and things like esports, from a mainstream media perspective, you might just see those as sort of buzzwords. Like people will say, we need something on esports, you know, because it's the thing that people are talking about. But in a couple of years time, those people who make those decisions, the editors, they're going to be people who are actually familiar with those things. It's not just going to be a case of, I don't know what esports is, but people are talking about it. Get our esports person to write something. Mm. They're going to say, okay, you know, here's something specific that's happening in esports. I understand that and, and we'll cover that. So I think it's really just a matter of time. Uh, so I don't see any reason why video games as a medium won't sit alongside you know, literary journalism and movie journalism. And I don't see any reason why esports won't sit alongside sports journalism. I think it's just a case of, you know, people moving through the industry. Yeah, it's interesting. And yeah, it might take some a lot of time, but every phenomenon that comes up, like, you know, Pokemon Go last year, felt like it was in my local newspaper every day for a couple of weeks. But <laughs> stuff like that kind of puts it on on the radar and it just gives you a little glimpse of maybe in the future what maybe one day we'll have a world where it is kind of accepted along the same lines and it's a such a short timeline for video games when you compare them to books and, and film and tv so who knows yeah and stuff like that you have to imagine that um it'll be something else that everyone's getting excited about right mm. because i remember when pokemon go launched everyone sort of in the enthusiast press and even me personally we're all sort of like okay we get it like I understand what that is. It's ingress with Pokemon. Cool. Wait, wait till it comes out. We'll see if it's any good. The mainstream media had zero idea that it was happening. And then when it did happen, it was a massive deal and they went nuts with it. They wanted a different story every day. Uh, and I think that really just happened because uh, you didn't have that public awareness. You know, mm. you didn't have a sort of lead in. It just exploded. So by the time that all this sort of stuff is mainstream, uh, it probably won't be video games, I would imagine, or, you know, apps or VR, stuff like that, making a big mainstream splash. It'll be whatever the new thing is that the mainstream people don't know about. Is there anything about working in, in newspapers and, and Fairfax, I guess, that, that makes you say, you know, even if you say IGN came at me and offered me a job, I'm happy where I am, I'm happy in this space. Like, Because I imagine that you could make a, quite a good living from freelancing now that you're so established in, in that industry. So how do you see traditional media versus the games industry as your two options for a career? Yeah, well, I guess 
on the one hand, I'm kind of already getting a bit old <laughs> for that sort of stuff, you know. I mean, I'm not I'm not even 30 yet, but I feel like I've missed out on a lot of things that people in the enthusiast press sort of take for granted now. Like, I, I'm not really big into esports. I'm not really into streaming myself, uh, you know, gaming or watching other people uh, Let's on Let's plays and that, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's just not something that I ever really, you know, caught on with. So if there was some way that I could jump to, you know, a role in in the Enthusiast Press or as a freelancer that was exactly what I love doing, which is, you know, really absorbing video game culture and, you know, sp- specific games and theories and philosophies and condensing that into you know, written pieces, for sure, I would do that. Like, if, if someone wanted to, you know, talk to me about that, I would say, yeah, definitely. But I think it's more a case of I would do that part of the time and the rest of the time, uh, you know, there'd need to be something else for me to do. So sure. in the case of something like IGN or like Kotaku, I feel like if there was a full-time position available, and there really is, uh, it would be something that I would love to do. Uh, but the difference with mainstream media is that I am basically the guy who does this stuff. Mm. You know, I I set my agenda of what games I'm going to cover. And it's very different to how I would have used to do it because I'm basically playing a game a week. So I can't really dive deep into anything. But, uh, you know, I can... I can choose what i do and if there's something gaming related it's mine you know if there's a trip to e3 coming up i'm taking it there's no one at work who's gonna want to do that so the big difference would be you know moving to a place that's more collaborative which would be fine but it would be a a very different challenge yeah definitely no i think you're in a very enviable position there'd be a lot of people that gladly take a full-time paycheck to decide their own agenda in terms of what to cover yeah, well, even a, a full-time gig doing anything uh, video games media is, is getting harder and harder to come by, I think. Yeah. You know? uh, especially because there's so many... Like, before I did any of this, I freelanced... Well, it was not even freelance. I contributed to a site called um, Wii U Daily, which I think is called Nintendo Today now. And, I mean, the site was fine and the people were fine, but no one was getting paid. You know, everyone was right. just trying to build up their you know, their Portfolio. craft and trying yeah. to get stuff published and they just love doing it. And I think so much of the industry is sort of based on that where people just have this drive to create and there's people who are saying, hey, come create for us, you know. And if it's YouTube or Twitch, maybe you'll make a, a bit of money on the side from it. If it's a, a game blog, maybe you'll get exposure, you know. Uh, but... In terms of people at the top who are, you know, doing it full time for a living, at the moment it's still basically people who have been around since the magazine days, or it's people who are just so good that, you know, those big sites need them. So I'm not sure exactly what's going to happen in the future, but it seems like there's less and less, you know, capacity for the enthusiast press to take on um, full time people. Sure. So, Tim, what would you say has been the hardest part of your career path in terms of getting to where you are? Uh, I think sort of readjusting uh, my sights a little bit was was very difficult because I guess I was very lucky. I mean, 
it, it seems like luck from the outside. I like to think it was a little bit due to hard work as well. For a while, I basically set my sights on something and then I achieved it pretty quickly. You know, I wanted to study at RMIT. It took a bit of time, but I got there. I wanted to do a master's thesis in something that I was passionate about. Did that. Wanted to write for IGN. Did that. Wanted to progress from my producing job at the age to something I was a little more interested in. Did that. But eventually I hit sort of a wall where I said, well, my next goal is to get a full-time job for an enthusiast gaming site. I'll move to Sydney where uh, all those things are. And then, you know, I'll work really hard and I'll get there. And I didn't really get there. So I think the hardest part was sort of saying, okay, well, here's a different goal that I can shoot for. And, Mm. you know, let's move back to Melbourne because Sydney's terrible. (laughs) And uh, let's sort of reassess and and come up with some new goals. It was challenging, but, you know, that's how it is. And you made it work for you in some ways, I guess. Yeah. and, And I sort of got a lot less complacent in terms of, oh, my, you know, my employer thinks this way about games and I disagree, you know, I sort of changed that over time into, you know, I am the person who decides what my employer thinks about games (laughs) and then this is what I think about them. As a video game advocate, what is the best way for someone to convince an employer or whoever it is that they, they might be answering to that it's something that's worth covering and that there is an audience for it? Well, for a while, my my tactic was sort of to say, you know, I'm doing this all on my own time and it doesn't cost you anything. <laughs> you know, sort of, I, I, well, I still obviously play all the games at home. They wouldn't really tolerate me <laughs> sort of kicking back and, and gaming in the office. But yeah, for a while it was, <clears throat> I'll write all this at home. I'll produce it at home. I'll make the videos. I'll do everything like that. Uh, and And over time, I guess they just saw that, you know, there wasn't a huge audience, but there's a good... 7,000, 8,000 hits, you know, per uh, game review, which isn't to be sneezed at. Mm. And, you know, when there's an issue, uh, a large issue that we can sort of, you know, discuss, it's just basically a a two-way dialogue. And I'm lucky to have really fantastic editors at Fairfax, so they can sort of say, is this a story or is it not? I can sort of talk to them about it and they'll say, you know, I think people will be more interested in this. And we can sort of compromise and just and just see how it goes. And then next time we can work off that. And we've seen it happen with things like esports. We had a real red hot go at covering the um, the League of Legends Oceanic League that just happened. We covered it really hard. There was an okay audience, but now we sort of know you know who they are and how they like their stuff covered. And so next time uh, we'll probably do it a bit better. So yeah, it's really it's just a sort of mutual respect and. Uh, discussion it's interesting uh so what would be your advice to people who they've got a blog or they're doing a bit of just writing to get noticed by the video game industry what would be your advice in terms of making it into a career in terms of trying to get into the traditional sort of you know enthusiast press i think it's it's really a case now where they notice you you don't sort of go to them so really you need to think about what you can do that none of the other thousands of people who are trying to get in can do. Mm. You know, what are your other interests and how can they be implemented in your love of video games? Um, And what are your skills? And if you don't think you have any applicable skills, you know, what are some that you'd like to have? And just sort of 
practicing and practicing. I know uh, personally, I struggled for a while to sort of integrate, you know, my love of uh, philosophy and textual analysis with playing video games. But once I did, I was writing stuff regularly that people thought, you know, this is a perspective that I hadn't considered. And that's the kind of stuff that someone at IGN might read and say, you know, we can put this on our homepage and people will click on it because it's a, it's a different perspective. I think in terms of if anyone's thinking about the mainstream media, uh, it's much the same. It's sort of more a case of having to chase people and having to find out who's in charge and start a dialogue with them and not sort of, you know, send them stuff and expect them to do something with it, but try to, you know, open up a dialogue to see what they need and, and what you can do for them. Because uh, I guarantee they would be very happy to just get stuff that's ready to go that they can use and, and pay for. Very good. Yeah, I, I must admit I tried at several different newspapers to get some uh, video game reviews into the paper, but no luck for me. <laughs> it's, a, it's not an easy thing. You keep using this term enthusiast press, and I don't think I've heard it before, but I like it. Yeah, I mean, I just I, I need something to differentiate, you know, because I work in the press, mm. <laughs> but I don't work... I work with video games in the press, yeah. not in the gaming press. So. Is that a term that other people use or is that what something you've come up with? Uh, that's a term that I've heard used for other types of press, you know. So if there's, you know, uh, a magazine that's just about air conditioners or whatever, you'd yeah. say it's, okay. it's, an, it's an enthusiast press. So yeah, right. uh, <laughs> I don't know if it really applies too much to online outlets, but... You know, <laughs> no, it's good. I'm going to steal that one. I think it's it's a, it's a good good one. And uh, so, Tim, my last question that I ask everyone on this show is: if you could do anything and know that you wouldn't fail, what would you do? I guess to go back on my earlier comments about uh, learning a lesson, I would probably uh, quit my job, and uh, I don't think I'd move to San Francisco. I think I would uh, go back to school and start my PhD. Uh, and get a lot of new, interesting ideas and perspectives on video games and sell freelance articles to everyone who would take them. Sounds good. And, what, and what's stopping you from that? Would it be the uh, the newborn baby? And the... <laughs> I have I have significantly more mouths to feed now yeah. <laughs> than I did when I started, yeah. Sure. I, I think I could... I, I'm confident that I could make a living out of it, but I I do worry about the... Uh, the regularity of of mm. the cash flow. So, yep. yeah, maybe one day. Sure. Well, uh, thanks for, for chatting, Tim. I've been following you on Twitter for a couple of years, I think, so it's good to finally get to talk. Yeah, no worries, man. Thanks for having me. It's been awesome. That was Tim Biggs. Thank you for listening. He is at Tim Biggs with two Gs on Twitter. You can check out his work over on smh.com.au and theage.com.au. I, as always, am at Johnny himself on Twitter. And until next week, keep putting in work.